Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss Season 4, Episode 20 of Farscape. We're so screwed. Part 2, Hot to Katrazzi. We are in the home stretch. We really are. And gotta say, they brought their A-game this episode. Oh my god, yes. Okay, so last week, two weeks ago, I always say last week, yeah, whatever, you all know. It, we alternate weeks between this and our Charmed podcast. In case you listen to this and not the Charmed podcast, which seems unlikely to me, but... Uh... Oh my gosh, Max. There's a house downtown that looks so much like the Hallowell Manor. We need to buy it so we can renovate it to look exactly like Hallowell Manor. I should really be bringing this up on our other podcast. Welcome to the Hallowell Manor. Anyway, we're almost done with Farscape. We're so close to the end. You know, between this and the Adams Family House you want to buy, we're accruing a real collection of... Quite, quite the portfolio. (laughs) Yes. Unlike last week where the episode was all table setting and we went off on so many tangents that I released a like separate tangents only episode (laughs) that was half an hour long and by the way i did not cut out all the tangents in the other episode there were plenty of tangents and there were still half an hour of tangents well i I said it really early on last episode you could sum it up in two sentences they rescue aaron but lose scorpius and have to get him back i guess that's one sentence that's just kind of long Right. So that's what happened last week. Yeah. They rescued Aaron. They lost Scorpius. And, you know, I was kicking myself when I was watching the recap of this episode that I didn't say, that I didn't make a lost reference. Like, Kate, we have to go back! Because that's basically what happens at the end. John is like, oh, fuck, we gotta go rescue Scorpius. Aaron, we have to go back! Okay. 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 Not to be mean to the last little mini arc. Of Lost? No. (laughs) No, of Farscape. Oh, go on. Go on. Not to be mean to the little Aaron. Aaron is with missing mini arc. But like, couldn't we have not done any of that and just jump straight to this? Because this is awesome. I Right? I know. Well, Although I guess it probably wouldn't be awesome if it was stretched out over like six episodes. Yeah, they didn't get all the pieces in play. You know what? Let's just enjoy what we have, which is this amazing episode. Split the party episodes are so bad. I'm sorry. It's why the Clone John stuff was weird. Like it wasn't. Oh, oh, speaking of the party being split. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting a major player back this episode. Yeah, we are. Oh my god, okay. I, I, I have missed him. I've missed him dearly. Even though he did kind of show up a little bit ago, but no, no. This this is the real return of... Stark, we're talking about Stark. Yay, I love Stark. He feels like such an iconic character, even though he's been in relatively little of this show. Yeah, I, okay, I'm gonna have to do, like, how many episodes has he actually been in, like, comparison with, like, him and Naranti and Jewel and Sokozu, like, all of the people who aren't, you know, I'm just gonna... I, yeah. Did he ever cross paths with Jewel? Was he out by the time we introduced Jewel? Because I think of him as spanning so much of the show, considering he isn't on it very long, because he was in both the Zan and Chiana. I I know there was overlap, but... I'm just going to make a bar chart. This calls for a bar chart. Like, I feel like, wasn't Jewel introduced relatively soon after Zan died? Yeah, yes, yes, she was, because remember... She was one of the frozen corpses that they got from the planet when they oh, did... Oh, I was going to say, she's in Stark's video game, so obviously he would have had to have met her. 
Oh, well, yeah, that too. But also remember where she came from. She was one of the corpses that they were going to use her bits to, like, figure out how to put John back together. Yeah, like they did with both of her cousins. God, I didn't enjoy Jules' time on the show. Like, I didn't enjoy her as a character, but I really couldn't hate her either. I mostly felt bad for her. So, in this episode, they all have to go back to the ship to rescue Scorpius because John has realized that Scorpius knows everything he knows because of the chip, which means that locked in his brain somewhere is the wormhole technology, and John doesn't want it falling into the wrong hands. In this case, the the Scarin hands. Wait, I thought he couldn't get the information from the chip. Hasn't John been holding, like, the one last equation over his head or whatever? I mean, I guess if he's, like, 99% there, that's still bad information for them to have. But... I mean, we literally had this conversation last week. I mean, it, it's it's just it's just the plot point to make them have to go back to the station. But, yes, he, he, he can't consciously access it. But John was able to unlock it, so theoretically Scorpius might be able to unlock it. Okay. D- don't, wor- <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I do. I love that this is essentially a heist episode. Oh, yeah. They definitely play it the same way they did, like, the Shadow Depository robbery. Except much like the Shadow Depository, like, they come up with this whole heist plan and then they end up being like, but really the thing is John has a bomb strapped to his crotch. Well, I think a lot more goes according to plan in this episode than it did in the shadow depository episode which is good because you'll recall at the end of the shadow depository episode they managed to win by having talon blow everything up and talon's not here anymore it's just it really reminds me of the shoplifting episode of american dad when they're trapped in gap prison or whatever right 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 and francine's like wait a second i know how to get us out of here with the most cunning shoplifting strategy of all, and then she just throws a grenade and they run. That's essentially all of these plans. I guess. I guess. Well, that's... I mean, to go back to our original premise when it comes to Farscape, that is how it happens in a lot of role-playing games. And here I'm not really thinking of D&D, but more every experience I've ever had with Shadowrun. It was coming. I just... it's, It's how it works. You come up with a plan... And then at the end of the day, you just have to shoot your way out. I was going to say, isn't Shadowrun a little more magic techie than this? But I guess there is magic in Farscape. So we open with Scorpius strapped to something very similar to the Aurora chair, which I kind of love because it means that Scorpius kind of got the idea for the Aurora chair from what looks like a much lower tech thing that Scarens use to get information out of people. And look, we're talking about magic and technology here. Instead of using technology to pull out people's thoughts, the Scarens just using her like heat ray mind control beam to pull stuff out of him. And he's like, yeah, you think that that's going to affect me? I was raised by the original discipline mommy. I wish I was exaggerating. I'm, I am a little bit, but he does use the term mommy to describe the torture lady who raised him. And in a disparaging comparison to the woman who is currently torturing him now. And the whole oh, I'm thing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are you are you worried about the S&M alien having mommy issues? Oh, my God. And there's this weird symmetry between this and a bit way later in the episode where John has the Renfield guy. What's his name? Stark? What? No. 
Scorpius is Renfield guy. Braca. I would never think of Bra- Okay. I, I I think of Ren Okay, go ahead. So when he's telling Braca, like he he refers to Braca as pretending to be under mommy's control when he's really under daddy's. And I'm like, that's a really weird synergy between Scorpius and John. They both understand how it works. <laughs> like, that is a weird point of connection between those two characters. I I don't want to say it, but I kind of... It kind of feels weird that Scorpius and John never had sex, right? Like... They didn't need to. I, I, Scorpius I, I, was inside of John in a much more intimate way. I, I do not read fanfic. It's, it's, I'm not throwing shade or casting dispersions on it or whatever. Like, it's just not something that generally appeals to me. I read lots and lots of fanfic. I have to imagine there's just a ton of John Scorpius stuff out there. Like, that has to be the show's power ship. Honestly, I don't actually read a lot of Farscape fanfic. You know what? Let's cruise on over to AO3 here. I mean, why not, right? There are no rules. You can just Google something during a podcast. Right? Will they tell you? Does it break it down yes. by ship? They'll tell you which is the power ship. Oh my god, you really don't read fan fiction, do you? You don't even know how to work AO3? Okay, it's fine. It's fine. Is this very upsetting? No, it's just surprising. It's like... It's just surprising. Okay, so just for context, let's see how many... Uh, John and Aaron fix there are, okay? Just for context. 531. So, okay. And then let's see. Only 34. Wow. I would not imagine that, well, God, I'm surprised how many heterosexual people watch Farscape. Uh, no no offense, heterosexual people out there. I just, it, it seems like a show that would have a really large queer fan base. We should get back to talking about I, this episode. I, I know you're falling down a fanfic rabbit hole, but this is not this is not a podcast where we read Farscape <laughs> fan fiction. It's a it's a podcast where we talk about Farscape. Fine. <laughs> We're so far off track right now. I mean, I guess we are technically talking about Farscape, but Sisakozu is like, wait, so. What's the plan? We're just going to storm into this stronghold, grab Scorpius, and then shoot our way out? And everyone else is like, yeah, is this your first day? Wow. You we're just, we're really you, jumping did, back in did there. You just, did you just get here? I mean, to be fair to Sokozu, it works generally. They weirdly haven't lost anyone in any of these raids. Uh-huh. Like, their success rate is pretty good. Yeah, they've lo- it's it's true. They've lost crew members, but never never on one of their uh, wild missions. So, I mean, unless I guess you count other John, maybe. Mm. I mean, yeah, Aaron was killed by uh, Chip John, or Chip Scorpius, and then Zan died transferring her life essence to Aaron. I know technically she got vaporized by that pad or whatever, but like she was already dying when that happened. Uh huh. Like, you can say that it was she did technically die during one of their adventures, but she was actively dying while that was happening. Yeah, no, no. I always think of Xan as dying to save Aaron. That's basically what happened. It was really weird to bring her back just to have her yell at John. Like, I know it was, I guess, 
stark simulation of her or whatever. Mm-hmm. I guess if you think of it like that, but it's still weird that John's, I'm assuming, last canonical conversation with Zan or a someone played by the actress who plays Zan representing someone's idea of Zan uh-huh. is basically her being like, I died for you and what have you done? I mean... It's her yelling at him for wasting her sacrifice. Yes, but I don't think it's fair to say that that's canonically Zan because it's... It's Stark's idea of Zan. It's Stark's idea of Zan. It's Stark working out his grief towards the loss of Zan and at his anger John. at John. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's not Zan. Zan wouldn't have said that. Which is, it's really interesting because, God, Stark is such a good character when they play him for tragedy. It is a shame how much time they spent comedy pairing him with Rigel. Oh, yeah. They they didn't really know what to do with Stark a lot he, of times. Well, he worshipped John, and losing Xan just poisoning that is such an interesting idea, and then they kind of just didn't address it for a really long time. Like, Stark wasn't a character. Well, I think it was a real problem as soon as they separated the two, the two crews. I mean, that's that's... Stark is the one who was hit hardest when they separated out because, yeah. He got all the comedy subplots with uh, Rigel. Yeah, because what's what's he going to do? Like, play third wheel over here with John and Aaron? It's also interesting that he watched a John die. Mm-hmm. And that he still has that level of animosity towards John. I, I don't think that that's, I don't think that's strange at all. Especially because realize that he guided Zan into the afterlife and he guided John into the afterlife. So I'm sure that he saw some disparity between John as Zan saw John and John as he actually is. Mm. And I'm sure that like increased his anger and also some disparity between how he saw Zan and how John saw Zan. So uh, yeah, I can see the fact of John's death not dispelling his bitterness at all about that particular thing. But you're right, it's a totally unmined vein of of pathos. And in this particular episode, like, we're finally getting back to Stark's very, very real trauma around Scorpius, which it's like, thank God they're giving Stark something to sink his teeth into. Yeah, because dude can do pathos. Yeah, he can. Anyway, on this planet, which is not a ghost planet, and actually it's not a planet at all, it's a moon. And I just want to point out that it it is very much... Okay, so it's actually not a moon. It's a space station. <laughs> I, know, I 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 know. No, the fact that it's unintentional is what makes it... <laughs> <laughs> yes. That hides its appearance by, like, mirroring the moon of the planet. We, we never really said that, but that's what they told us. It's like Counter-Earth in Marvel. Oh, yes, that's exactly what it is. God, I hate Counter-Earth. Every story with Counter-Earth is stupid. I'm sorry if you like Counter-Earth. That is just my opinion, and granted, I haven't read that many, but it's, oh, there's an Earth on the other side of the universe that we can't see because it's in perfect synchronization with our Earth. And also, some robot named Eve and Vision had like a million robot babies that live there now. Sure, why not? What I was going to say, though. Okay. Is that it does look a lot like the Death Star, and it speaks to how 
concerned John is about everything else that's going on that he never once makes a reference to how much it looks like the Death Star. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you would think that would be the place he would go. Speaking of Star Wars. <laughs> the Emperor. No, no, okay. The Scarens and Greza and Braca. I guess Greza is okay. Yeah, I kind of thought she was dead or going to prison or something in the last episode, but I guess she's fine and is just negotiating some more. Yeah, the Scarens and the Peacekeepers are again negotiating peace, war, treaties, etc. And I just want to say, dear Star Wars prequels, this is how you do interesting trade negotiations. Holy shit. I like that we kind of get what are what are Sokozu's people called again? Oh, I knew you were going to ask. I forget. Whatever Sokozu's people are. They're, I really like the look at their society we get this episode. Spoiler yes. alert for one of our segments later. Uh-huh. But, like, I really like the idea that they are admittedly, to themselves even, a servant class of a different species. Mm-hmm. But they've got the supreme confidence from knowing that without their species, the larger, more predatory species would completely collapse. Like, one of them mentions, like, if it wasn't for us, the entire Scarin Empire would collapse within a year. Or whatever dumb word they have instead of year. Cycle. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're like, if it weren't for us, you know, the Scarens would collapse within a cycle. And that's why, even though we are subservient to them, we do whatever the fuck we want. Yeah. It. It is a. It is a deeply realized world building yes yes so the scarens and the peacekeepers are having their meeting and john just strolls right in he's like hey can't have a peace meeting without john Crichton." he's like when homer simpson went to that pta meeting and he was strapped with dynamite remember yes yes because people are more likely to listen to you when you've strapped yourself with dynamite Which you cannot fault the logic there. Which is what's going on. John has essentially a... a, Nuke strapped to his dick. He's got a tiny little nuclear bomb on a little little sash around his his body. And he has it... John, how did other John die? You know how other John died? Other John died keeping wormhole information away from these people. And this John is ready to do the same. Okay, I was talking more about the fact that he died from radiation poisoning, and John literally has a nuke directly next to his nards. To keep wormhole technology away from these people! Listen, nothing but respect for John coming in, strapped with a nuclear bomb, and he tells them it's tied to all sorts of uh, bodily functions of his, so that it... If his heart rate goes up too much, it'll blow up and kill them all. If his heart rate goes down too much, it'll blow up and kill them all. So they have to keep him in exactly the right amount of happy or they're all going to die. Too hot, too cold, too happy, too sad, too thirsty, too bored. John has very cleverly devised a plan where he gets to talk a lot and everyone has to listen and look at him and he has to be the center of attention. I feel yeah, like when you're when you're a bard in a party, this is what you do. Oh, I was about to say, I feel like John, this isn't directly a daddy issues thing, but I feel like if John's dad had paid a little more attention to John, this wouldn't have been a skill he would have needed to develop. 
Yeah, that's fair. If he had been raised in a household that paid him proper attention, he wouldn't need to devise plans that involved everyone looking at him while he talked for long stretches of time. Everyone needs to pay attention to John. Hey, but listen, John was born for this moment. I love this moment. John comes in there and the 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 scared emperor is like, okay, fine, what do you want? And John's like, are you fucking kidding me? You, you called me! What do I want? You called me! You sent aliens to my planet to kill my best friend's girlfriend. And my best friend. And my best friend who I never talk about anymore. You sent a fembot onto my ship to pretend to be my girlfriend. Like, what the fuck? What do you mean, what do I want? John gets to walk on a table now and everyone's looking at him. It's his coyote ugly moment. <laughs> it is. Oh my god, it, this is John's coyote ugly moment. If things had gone very slightly differently, John Crichton would be a stripper. I would also be interested in reading that AU if anyone wants to write it. Like, seriously, a, if a couple of things had gone differently, if John was a little less good at math, although maybe not, strippers need a lot of math. Okay, so... He comes in, he walks on a table. I feel bad is the wrong word because I don't, but I feel like I should feel bad about still referring to Grace as boob sweat lady, but I'm going to keep doing it. Even no, that's though fine. She's not using her boob sweat anymore. I feel like they're like, that's dumb. We're just not going to reference it. Granted, she could use it later, but like it doesn't come up at all this episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did she try to use it against the Scarin in the last no, episode? No, not at all. Yeah. The Scarin called her a bunch of misogynistic stuff but she doesn't ever use her boob sweat in, the, in that episode yeah yeah so john is making his speech and aaron is getting so hot she like smiles she smiles in this way that makes it clear that she's like this this is the man i'm in love with and this is the man that i plan to entangle isn't he fine yes well, one of the one of the you know participants at the round table at the at the conference table is even like he's crazy, and Aaron's like, I know, isn't it great? Girl talk, <laughs> isn't it hot when your boyfriend straps a nuke to his junk and then jumps on a table? <laughs> right. In a very, very, very closely related parallel universe, John's definitely a stripper. Oh yeah. So John says, I think he does the accent too. His weird fake southern accent. Yes. So John says that he is an American and that what he wants is what all Americans want. And that is money. <laughs> and he's just going to sell out the wormhole technology to whoever's going to give him the best deal. So he's going to let them fight about what the best deal is. Money and safety. Well, yeah, that's definitely part of it. Like he's like, look, you know how every day you wake up and, you know, you hear the sound of your friends dying and all the people who are trying to murder you? No? Well, I would like to have that experience. I would like to have the experience of not constantly being in life or death danger. Whoever can offer that to me, you're going to get some wormhole knowledge. Yeah. Meanwhile, the crew is splitting up to do crewish things. Yeah, it's weird that they... This is a heist, and on the ship, they kind of made fun of Sokozu for thinking they should have a plan. 
Now that we've seen the initial scene where John offers to sell out wormhole technology, which we know is not going to happen, we actually get the, okay, here's the plan moment. Which uh, is such a heist movie thing. Yeah, but it's weird that they do it at this point instead of before. Because especially at this point, they have to they have to make sure that they tell us that they've encrypted all of their communications so that they can't be listened into because they're on the station now. The plan is that Sakosi's going to go deal with the Kalish. They're called the Kalish. Sakosi's got the Chiana mission. They're like, go, go, point your boobs at the uh, K- Kalish. The Kalish, which I feel like she had to do before too. It's weird how Sakosi's like the smartest person ever, and she can do basically anything. And they're mostly using her to be like, "Hey, big boy." Have you ever had sex with an entire bachelor party at once? No, no, that is wrong. Okay. No, I, I... Remember when she, she... No, no, okay. Because what's happening here is not that Sokozu is doing the Chiana mission, right? Before she had to go and she had to talk to the other Kalish and do re- recon there. But it's not that she was sent to seduce them the way that Shiana uses seduction as like the number one tool in her arsenal right when when all you have is a hammer everything looks like a nail right that's her sexuality for Shiana no the thing is that Sakozu is going out there and doing recon amongst the Kalish because that is what she is she's also Kalish and she is falling in love okay so you're saying that she's basically the Kimberly Benton of Farscape. Who's that? Jem's younger sister. Yes! <laughs> yes! That is what I am saying! I'm sorry, I called her Kimberly. Her name was Kimber. Yes, I know. Oh, but once you said that, I assumed you were doing that on purpose, because Kimber must be short for Kimberly, now that I think about it. Right, it has to be, right? Yeah. Although, is Jerrica an actual name? I assume they made it up, but... No, that's not a real name. I mean, it, might, it probably is now, but no, they made that up. <laughs> yeah! She's falling in love. She's falling in love because she is so desperately, like, wanting, she, she's wanting this, like, sense of community that she never got on Moya. Actually, I'm wrong. Uh, Sukosu's big thing is going on missions where they end up using the fact that she can have her limbs cut off and just reattach them. They've done that, like, once. They've done it a couple of times. She definitely lost fingers in one episode. Okay, well, they don't cut off any limbs in this episode, and they didn't cut off any limbs in the other episode that you're talking about. Thank God, because that's so creepy. It's so creepy. It, I, you I, know, mean, I totally even forgot that was one of her powers. I mean, it's a useful thing to be able to do. I mean, hello, Lorne. Right, right. I feel like you're just not interested at all in, like, the fact that she never gets the found family on Moya that everyone else gets. And that's the real tragedy of Sokozu. Oh, no. I love that that's Sokozu's thing. I love that her big emotional connection is to goddamn Scorpius. Right? I love that, like, she isn't really beyond friendly co-workers with any of these people. And honestly, she does not care if they like her. She doesn't even really bond with pilot and moya which she absolutely should given that her whole deal when she comes aboard is that she's an expert in leviathans like she's an expert in leviathans and she comes aboard and knows nothing about the reality of how leviathans are i just i like that her whole thing is basically friendly indifference 
Yeah. Like, like, she likes the crew well enough, but she would definitely betray them at the drop of a hat. And, like, they can trust her, but also, you know, they know that she will leave whenever a better opportunity to do whatever she wants to do comes up. Yeah. It's weird how much this character is just better Jewel. I'm sorry. She is. She is better Jewel. She's, she's gem. She's gem to Jewel's Jerrica. No, no, like a, like a jewel and a gem. Oh. Oh, I thought you were doing like a thing because like we were talking about gem earlier. Yeah, no, no. I was like, that, that, that made it confusing. <laughs> well, no, because, because Jericho is who. You know what I should, I should say she's like a kilowatt. Is kilowatts more than a jewel? A jewel is a measure of energy, right? I'm sorry. I just went to, <laughs> she, she's like the ready player one thing, except everyone's just having sex all the time. What? Kilowatt. Like the Pierce Anthony book. Kilobyte. Oh, sorry. You should know we own two copies of it in this household. Wait, this is not a good episode for me remembering the names of stuff. Oh. Okay. I remember when we were like, we're going to be really focused on this episode because we liked it so much. We're just going to talk about the plot. Oh, those were different days. Those were different days. We talked about fan fiction. We're talking about <laughs> Piers Anthony books. I mean, to be fair, unlike last episode, I'm going to cut a lot of this out and not make it its own episode. No, not the kilobyte stuff. <laughs> oh, no, the kilobyte stuff stays in. People need to know about kilobyte. People do need to know about kilobyte. Honestly, it's probably, it's a really good Piers Anthony book to read to get a feel for Piers Anthony's writing without getting the worst aspects of Pierce Anthony like there's no there is like an there's the main romance is between like an 18 year old girl and like a 40 year old man who's a cop okay okay but see here I said least creepy version of it ah because Because she's at least above the age of majority she is a legal adult she's not a 16 year old who spent or 14 year old or 15 year old or whoever however old what's her face was colleen is 14 oh no i was talking look multiple (laughs) examples right off the bat Yes, Colleen was 14 when she went on her dimension hopping thing and ended up with a 40 year old man but i i was talking about the uh the ghost girl, the form, the the prostitute ghost girl from Incarnations of Immortality, who ends up sleeping with the judge because she spends three or four or five years outside of time. So when she comes back, she's of legal age, even though she's still, you know, in the body of a child. I am going to do a TikTok that's just summarizing um, the plot of kilobyte because it's so bananas the people need to know i mean the people need to know i i was a xanth guy which i know i know xanth is the worst of piers anthony's stuff or the most piers anthony of piers Anthony's yeah it's, stuff. it's no mode series well i was about to say mode was the other thing of his i read i tried that thing the weird thing with the like wolf. isle of woman shame of man hope of earth is that the thing that took place in the, like, triangle world where each side is a different color and they're all at war and, like, the rules of magic and oh, no, gravity no. and shit work differently depending on what color part of the world you're on? Oh, no. Okay. Isle of Woman, Shame of Man, Hope of Earth, three different books. Um, 
Is this the one against race mixing? No, I wasn't even talking about race against time. <laughs> That's uh, the name of that one. I'm glad I never found out that that book existed until I also recently. I also need to do a video about that book because ho oh, oh, ho no, but we're oh my god. No, those are the books where it like it goes all the way through time, right? So it starts with like Neanderthals and it takes us all the way through all of the different like civilizations of man and it's it's like reincarnations of the same family over and over so that you tell like the story of humanity. Like Sweet Valley High. Exactly like Sweet Valley High. And I love that you know okay, because Obviously, right? You don't mean the regular Sweet Valley High books. You mean the Sweet Valley High books. You mean the Wakefield Chronicles. Yes, I mean the Wakefield Chronicles. Yes! God, I loved those. Yes. <laughs> it's so weird how it turns out that, like, every... I forget, I forget. Every generation, their parents almost got married. Yes! And then and then just, just didn't. Last second didn't. Very convenient. Otherwise... Elizabeth and and uh, Jessica never would have been born. Or they would have been born incestuously. <laughs> they definitely wouldn't have been California sun-kissed, tan, twins, blonde hair, blue eyes, perfect size six. My god, is that how they're described? Yeah, in every single book. That's why I know oh it. Oh my god, that's the creepiest thing in the world. Oh! Oh, gross. Ugh. I feel like I should be on some sort of list just from hearing that. Ugh. Okay, okay. Hey, here's some teenage girls and their measurements, folks. Okay, women, women, women who are my age, which is like 40, right? Women around 40 who read Sweet Valley High growing up. Did you also grow up thinking that six was the aspirational size that we should all be because that's the size the Wakefield twins were? Let me know. Tweet at me. Like. It's true. I don't know how women's sizes work, but I'm assuming that's a hard-to-achieve size. No, it's not. I mean, it's... Uh, it's. It, they're not the Olsen twins? Yeah. Honestly, I feel like when I said women who are my age, right? Because I feel like women who are younger than I am, women who are in their, like, 20s, are, honestly had it harder because they, they felt like they had to aspire to, like, zero. Mm. But that's... Impossible. Uh, Without being very, very unhealthy. No, I mean, I don't want to shame people who are genetically just small. Mm. I mean, there are also people who are genetically just small, like, right? Like, you just are the size you are. Calm down. It's fine. Well, the thing I I'm said... saying calm down to society, not to you, individual women who had to deal with all of society's pressures, by the way. Well, you, you, all, you all calm up, you know? Calm up as much as you want. But the, the thing about it that I always go back to is the, the whole reason why, like, diet culture and stuff isn't a, an actual thing like that y your genetics the the thing that really made it clear to me that Di diet culture is a thing just to be clear you mean dieting isn't a thing isn't a thing that can like permanently change you like like that the the thing that convinced me of that was uh, we talked about this a few days ago zachary levi got cast in shazam Yes. And he went on this insane workout thing to gain as much muscle as he could. And he looks the way he looks in Shazam. Yeah. Like, he put on a lot of muscle. But the fact is, he has a really certain body type. And I feel like no matter how much protein powder you eat or how much exercise you do or how many chickens you consume whole, you can only deviate so much from 
insert from the body type you've got. And that should be fine. And that should be fine. It's fine. Zachary Levi's an attractive enough guy body-wise. Personality-wise, <laughs> we're finding out some stuff. See, for me, the thing is, if a doctor ever... And, and here's a hint for all of you people out there who have to deal with this from doctors. If a doctor ever tells you you have to lose weight, just ask them for literally any diet that shows long-term weight loss in a clinical trial. Because there aren't any! Like... It's irresponsible for a doctor to say you need to lose weight when there has been no scientifically proven way to lose weight and keep it off long term. So, I mean, you know what? I'm sure I'm sure my knees would hurt less if I flew everywhere. That's not that's not helpful medical advice either. We're so far <laughs> off topic. I'm sorry, people need to know. We were talking about Farscape <laughs> at one point. How did we even get here? You're, I think you brought up Piers Anthony. It's because you brought up Kilobyte. Because I said you should be called. Oh my god! <laughs> so far away we are from the plot. Oh my god! We're talking about diet culture because of Piers Anthony. Because, because of sweet society. It's because of society that we're talking about diet culture. So the plan is everyone's basically they're going to divide and conquer, right? Suppose who's gonna go talk to her people? The oh my god, that that was that was where we left. It took so long to get back. I forgot where we left. I know. I'm bringing us back around. Okay, okay. Uh, Dargo, yeah. Dargo, and Rigel are gonna go talk to the uh, the Charids who are you the will weak remember link in this alliance. Well, they're not part of the alliance per se. They're another servant race of the Scarens, but they're the ones who look like Predator. I'm basically our predator. They're the yeah. warrior race. Are they the ones that have the glove that makes you really strong but gets you high all the time? Or is no, that that's a totally else? different race. They're gone. Don't worry about them. Okay. So this. Oh, and uh, um, what are Chiana and uh... Ch- Chiana and Naranti are going to go talk to the peacekeepers? Yes. <laughs> so many weird choices, but I re- I-, I like it. I-, I like the pairings. Yeah. Have we seen a lot of Naranti and Chiana? I, I know during they... during Girls Night Out, they had that, that amazing. That was fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know what? Underutilized pair. Yes, definitely. I guess Naranti is really more the one who solves is more a one who more solves problems by sticking her boobs out than Naranti. Yeah, Naranti does it more than uh, Sakozu, right? I mean, I guess so, but I would say that the way she solves problems is by... Drugging everyone? <laughs> yes. Yep. Anyway, the the peacekeepers talk to John first, and they're like, hey, you know, we're we're just a couple of years away from developing wormhole technology ourselves. And he's like, all right, so go fuck yourselves then. <laughs> then the offer's not for you, fucksticks. Also, it's such a... Weren't you bluffing that you already had it? They were. They were bluffing... To the Skyrens that they already have it, and Crichton calls them on that. And they're like, yeah, but you know we've already sent Prowlers through wormholes. And I love that because he doesn't call them on that, you know, per se, because he's not even really... Everyone who went through them exploded? They all melted, which I feel like is worse than exploding. Nah. But we know that. Yeah. Ugh. Does not pay to be a peacekeeper. So, Chiana's trying to go boobs out with this, like, robot chicken man. A Skyrim? God, they have a 
diverse range of character designs for these dudes. She she actually even calls him out on it. She's like, you're one of the flat face ones, right? Yeah, because he's not a horse face Skarin. He's one of the noble Skarins. Um, she calls him out that he's the one who tried to cut her and Aaron open and move Aaron's baby into her. And then she gets really angry and she says, uh, she says, tell me something. Do Skarins have Mivox? Which, are, which is, of course, Farscape for testicles. And then she pulls up her leg to knee him in the balls and then she falls down clutching her knee and he says we do but they're not on the outside which i don't like bad things happening to chiana but that is a pretty funny moment so dargo goes to talk to the charids and get some recon from them and he does it in the established way of all warrior races by being like hey all of these non-warrior races don't have enough intoxicants. Let me drink with you fellas. Gonna crack open a cold one with the boys and talk some peace treaties, man. More like war treaties, am I right? Roar, warrior race guys. Let's chest bump and touch dicks. So I, I was not in a fraternity. I don't know if you could tell from this. My school didn't even have fraternities. I know that sounds like I was trying to one-up you, but I was just I was just trying to explain how little I understand Greek culture. Well, I mean, I went to an art school, so my my uh, mine didn't exactly have fraternities either. Although it was part of a school that did have fraternities, uh, I was briefly involved. Is probably a strong word for the relationship I had. I was uh, I was briefly involved with a uh, with a frat guy who. But he was like a fancy frat guy. He'd throw like themed dinner parties and stuff. Interesting. I went to a few of them, which it was fun. I I had fun, but we, we weren't really like dating or anything. See, I didn't have these experiences because I the school I went to didn't have sororities or fraternities. I had to take like I had to take two different trains to get to the fraternity place. Like it wasn't it wasn't exactly like they <laughs> I like were. How on... You're trying to like literally physically distance yourself from the fraternities. You went to a school with frats. You were a frat guy. It's fine. I get it. You wore like those weird patterned shorts and like cheered loud at football games. It's fine. It's fine. Oh my God, the thought of my school having a football game. You you were just you were you were part of the machine and you just rubbed <laughs> elbows with like political political zions. I get it. It is true. One of my classmates did go on to be a character designer for Bojack Horseman. Which makes her basically royalty. There you go. I mean, it is very cool, and her stuff is amazing. I showed you her uh, her student her senior student thesis because it was like the yeah, best you did. the best thing our school has ever done. If if in by any by any chance you are listening to this, I feel like you should know who you are. I feel like I shouldn't have to yeah, say I think, names. I think they know who they are. But Felicia, hi. So Sakozu, who, as we have stated, has no has no brothers or sisters, has no fraternal or... or Sororal. Sororal order, right? Yes, yeah, Sakozu has a romance of the week with a guy. Well, she approaches the coalition. She's like, hey, I need to talk to you because you're definitely about to be betrayed. And the younger, handsomer assistant is like, oh, you're way too powerful secretary to be seen with this woman. She and I should go off together in the corner. We should go get a malted together to preserve your honor. And the guy's like, okay, yeah. Great. I I just had to hire my horny nephew to be my assistant. <laughs> That's what nepotism means. That is what nepotism means. Yep. 
So Dargo is sharing a milkshake with two straws <laughs> with the chards. A murder milkshake. A murder milkshake. And he's like, these bean counters couldn't possibly understand what it means to be a warrior. And and the Scarens are never going to give you the war you want. And they're like, what do you know? You work for a Hynerian. And he's like, yeah, who pays me a shit ton of money? Y'all aren't even being paid enough. This would be a great place to drop in Roger's young wife's song from American <laughs> Dad. Yes. Like... It's a banger. Is it on TikTok? If it's not on TikTok, you should put it on TikTok. I It is. Okay. Because it predates TikTok, but it is a pitch goddamn perfect TikTok sound. Yep. But yeah, Sokozu is already down to clown with this guy. She's like, if I had lived a thousand lifetimes, it would be worth it just to be in your warm embrace. And he's like, I have less alien makeup than you do for some reason. Okay, you skipped over the most important thing, though, because first of all, I just want to go back quickly and remind everyone that last week we learned that Sakozu had some sort of, like, heat thing that she could do. And here, she takes this guy aside and she shows him that her eye flips 360 degrees to become some other eye and then he does the same and apparently this is the secret signal that resistance fighters use to communicate with each other and my god farscape we are on episode 20 we do not have time for a speaking of using sakozu to get off track we do not have time for a whole plot about how Sokozu is part of a resistance to get the Kalish to rebel up against the the Scarens. Basically, basically what I'm saying is Sokozu, Sokozu, to go back to a thing we said several weeks ago, do you know what I'm going to say? I actually don't. Sokozu is Kalish Jesus. Out here fomenting rebellion, right? And 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 the the Scarens are the Romans. I don't remember discussing this at all. <laughs> no, we talked about how everything could be a Jesus story. Oh yes, everything can be a Jesus story. Yes, accurate. But... By the way, doesn't speak well for Sokozu's chances out there. Oh dear. But yeah, I I'm going to be I'm going to be completely honest. Totally missed that. <laughs> totally missed the whole. Sukozu is a freedom fighter. I, I guess I just kind of glazed over the Sukozu, you know. There's a lot happening in this episode. I just thought she was flirting with him. I, I I mean, she's also flirting with him. And and she also tells him, like, straight out that what they're trying to do right now is get the Kalish and the Cherids to have a riot to cover them while they escape with Scorpius. It's weird that she's got this love connection with this guy, but she's kind of just exploiting it to save her actual boyfriend. Yeah, that is weird. Although, to be fair, at least she doesn't she doesn't exploit it in she doesn't pretend to seduce him. Like she she clearly feels something yeah. throughout the episode, and she tells him straight out what she needs and why she needs it. I really like John and Aaron as a battle couple in this episode. It's nice that they get to just be a couple without having any of the whole "I have to pretend to hate you so Scorpius won't know that you're my weakness." Or, you know, you're, you know, we're, we're trapped in different places. Like, it's nice to see John and Aaron actually being a couple, which it's sad to say. Because I, I was like, it's not really something we've had before, except it was, but with other John. Yep, yep. 
And I know it's not psychologically healthy that she's doing this, but I appreciate- Is it not? I mean, he is the same man. Yeah, they went out of their way to establish it's the same guy. It's just the fact that Aaron told John that she's like, look, I love you and I loved him and you are him. So I'm just going to think of you as him still as the one I had a relationship with. And John's like, I'm pretty traumatized by this point. So I'll take what I can get. Like you did love a version of me and that was close enough. So I will just pick up where he left off. Honestly, it's pretty weird, but in this episode, Erin seems the ha- some of the happiest I've ever seen her. She really is. Like, I, I think it's partially because she's getting to do what she loves to do, which is be a warrior, except that she is doing it for a cause that she believes in, and she gets to do it with the man she loves, and she's going to have his baby, and they have a scene here where they flirt, and she, like, rubs up against him, and the bomb starts beeping its warning beeping because he's getting aroused, and she thinks that's hilarious, and... It's such a great couple moment for the two of them, and things are too going too well for them. Something horrible has to happen, I'm assuming, in the next few episodes. It, this by, is, by few, you mean the two we have left. This is This is smile time. Okay. This whole episode is smile time. Wait, explain. The the puppet episode of Angel, right? Explain. Yeah. Okay, because the epi- the hole in the world is the episode after smile time. Fuck! It is one of the darkest episodes of Angel. A very dark by WB standard show. It's basically a show about how redemption is literally impossible fuck you joss whedon no i i hate i hate that episode and not in like a oh i hate you because you gave me not what i wanted but what i needed whatever no fuck you to say that uh, to say that fred one of the truly good people in in all of whedon's shows that her soul is somehow burned up fuck you yeah like in a show in a universe that canonically has not only afterlives, but good afterlives for good people. Like, having Fred not only die, but have her soul completely destroyed is some, like, next-level awful stuff. So they proceeded by having Smile Time, a relatively light, granted with some very creepy stuff in it, episode... Okay, I I totally get what you're saying, and you're you're not wrong. You're right. It's just that when people talk about Smile Time as a light episode, I'm like, I know it's funny that he's a wee little puppet man, but are are the puppets are the puppets puppeting the? Uh, oh, I thought you were gonna say the the child the comatose children with the smiles because that's that's horrifying too. But also when the puppets are puppeteering the guy and he's like kill me like fucking a this is not a, this isn't a light episode people yeah point yes no, you're not wrong though like that, that is the function it serves and also it's probably part of the reason people think of it as a light episode and also you know puppet angel puppet right man. you're a wee little puppet man he got mauled by his werewolf girlfriend when he was a puppet and there was stuffing everywhere which would have been horrifying if he was a man they do, they do like the hero walk, but with a puppet. Yeah, no, I get it. It's funny. It's cute. No, it's fucking nightmare fuel. But yeah, no, I get it. I mean, I guess the real light episode of that season is obviously the one where Lauren gets his sleep removed. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, or Harmony's episode. I love Harmony's episode. Harmony's great. Ooh, fun fact. Harmony and Angel. Are the two characters who open and close the Buffyverse? Yes, they are the only two characters who appear in both the first episode of Buffy and the last episode of Angel. I just love that Harmony gets to be a part of that. Yeah, because it's so weird. It's it's weird that Harmony is the... uh, Angel and Harmony are the two through lines. I also choose to believe that Harmony in the Buffyverse is the same as Harmony in Adam's Family. And also that the two characters that she plays in Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values are the same character. There, there, there's no, there's no, it's never stated that they're the same character, but there's no reason that the Girl Scout who's selling the Girl Scout cookies in the first movie can't be uh, the the mean girl from summer camp. Who then grows up to be the mean girl in Buffy, who then becomes a vampire, who becomes a vampire secretary. Who, who then becomes a vampire reality star. Yes, if we're counting the comics as canon. Which we are. Which we are. I feel like there is an editorial thing around the whole Fred not existing in Illyria anymore. Well, because they they backtracked that in the comics. Twice. They backtracked it in the comics, and then they backtracked that, and then they backtracked it in the comics again, and I don't know if they ended up undoing that, but I just, I feel like there was an editorial force that was actively stopping the the writers of the comics from being like, no, Fred is, Fred is here, Fred is okay. Mm-hmm. Because, like, the first time it turned out that Illyria had just convinced herself she was Fred. Uh, because, like, she had all of Fred's memories and stuff. and Yeah, you know what? It's just, I, I, God, I, I don't know why Angel feels so much more tainted than Buffy by Joss's nonsense, but it really does. The whole thing with Fred is just horrifying well, i mean the charisma carpenter thing and is why it's the charisma carpenter thing. no no but what I... they do to cordelia is just brutal yes oh but i don't know why i don't know why um I-, I can't think of any any stuff that happens in buffy that i feel the same way about yeah yeah even even tara's death feels like it wasn't aimed directly at amber benson yeah yeah yeah, it did. Well, although she did have her issues and with with Joss, not not her issues. Yeah, and she did refuse to come back because she knew that they would not be true to the character of Tara if she came back. Yeah, she like she didn't show up in uh, conversations with dead people, even though they wanted her to come back. And she's she her official line was that she thought it would be too painful for fans to see Tara like that. Yeah, but I mean, I can see her not wanting to do an evil version. That would have been, that would have been beyond brutal if they had actually got Amber Benson back for that. Like, Ugh. and I can see that not wanting to be the final version of the character you like. Also, it ends up being something kind of beautiful to think that even the first couldn't do that. Yeah, like that there was something about Tara that stopped the first from being able to take her. Like something about her. I know it sounds hokey, but like inherent goodness, and that's not really a good thing to to put on a character. But still, it's it, it. There's something beautiful about that because the first evil, of course, takes the form of various dead people to torment the people that she wants to torment in that episode. And yeah, she she couldn't she couldn't be she couldn't be Tara. Although I said that she's she's only I she's she's only Cassie in conversations with dead people. She's not anyone else. She's not Joyce. I thought she. Was. I 
Although I feel it, like I that was something else just because... It, I don't think she's Joyce. I think that's like a power that she's doing, right? I don't think that's like physically her. Hmm. I, she's, I th- think she's causing whatever is happening, but it's not... She's not sitting down having a conversation with Dawn the way Cassie sits down and has a conversation with Tara. And then, of course... Willow. Bu- oh, yes, of course, Willow. And then, of course, Buffy's conversation is with the... A vampire. Yeah. Who... If I recall correctly, was initially supposed to be Jesse. Yeah. Oh no or, no no, Je- no no Jesse was Jesse was supposed to have a conversation with Xander. There was supposed to be a fourth plot about the first, and, and it's the one episode Nicholas Brendan is not. That would have been too much plot. Yeah, I mean it was pretty well stuffed. Oh God, I would have loved that though. Just to acknowledge that Jesse existed. To acknowledge that how thoroughly they forgot their best friend they both grew up with. Okay, so speaking of fan fiction, mm-hmm. as listeners know, I wrote a, what was essentially like, it's not a fix-it fic, it's like a redemption fic. I, I rewrote I rewrote Full House from the point of view of Joey, who is the worst character on television, Uncle Joey. That is correct. In order to, like, make him... Palatable. Not just palatable, but, like, understandable and sympathetic. I mean, did you feel like he was sympathetic? Yeah, yeah. It, honestly, if you've got more of it written, I'd like to read more of it. Okay, okay. Um, so yeah, so that was that was the fix it fix. I guess I'm, I'll just call it a fix it fix, whatever. Um, but yeah, the the next one that I really want to write is the same thing, except to redeem Xander. And the way that I would redeem Xander would be by making the trauma of Jesse dying like a real thing that he faces and deals with continuously through the through the story so like the opposite of what the new comics are doing with him the new comics have him turn into a vampire like immediately right or they haven't been an asshole immediately right okay so the new comics they have they have it so that since the new comics take place in our current times it's updated for which it doesn't feel like it should be as much of a thing but Mm -hmm. it actually changes it a lot being set in the present day instead of the 90s i mean that makes sense so willow's come out of the closet earlier so Mm -hmm. she's a lot less dependent on her friendship with xander like she's a lot less close with him Uh and her and buffy bond basically immediately and xander isn't brought in by Willow being desperately bonded to him. So he's kind of ignored by the main cast for most of the first book, which leaves him vulnerable to being seduced by Drusilla, who turns him. Okay, yeah, no, exactly the opposite of that. Because in my version of the story, first of all, we're taking out the whole weird incel friend zone in love with Buffy feeling like he has a possessiveness over her thing that happens in the show. Yeah. And okay, he's the heart of the team. I mean, can we talk for a second about the fact that Xander is like the obvious Joss Whedon insert and he thinks he has some sort of ownership over Buffy and what Buffy does and chooses to do? Like, it's too on the nose. Expose yourself a little more, Joss Whedon. But in in my version of the story, it's, it's actually him being committed to being a vampire slayer after this moment that causes him to become close with Buffy and work hard with Buffy. And it's not about, like, him being in love with her or anything. It's about him really just wanting to kill vampires with her. Yeah. Vengeance. It's a good... As as Batman has taught us, it's a good motivation. Which is actually... Oh, and and then, of course, 
vengeance is his motivator. And then that's why he hates Angel so much, right? That makes sense. Yeah. And then also it's his weird conflicted thing with Anya, who is also powered by vengeance. It, it makes their relationship make so much more sense. Yeah. If the two of them are both like vengeance fueled, but also it gives him this like massive like disorientation to be attracted to a demon, which is the whole like thing that he's against. Okay, one of the things that I really like about Buffy that I think is really understated mm-hmm. is how characters are injured over multiple episodes, and it's not a thing that's usually or even always commented on. Uh-huh. Like, the big one is obviously Anya hurting her arm at the beginning of season five, where it, it triggers this whole mortality. Existential crisis, because now she can be hurt and die? Yeah. Yeah. But... Someone else pointed it out, and I've watched some episodes with it in mind. The fact is, if characters who aren't Buffy get injured, they're usually portrayed as being injured over multiple episodes. Mm -hmm. Like, it can be as little a thing as, you know, you see someone limping a little bit after an episode where their leg got injured. Yeah. Or as something like Anya's cast. Like, the episode after Olaf snaps Xander's wrist, his wrist is in a thing in the next episode. Right, right. I just think it's a neat little bit of continuity to preserve between episodes, especially considering how, you know, much new shows like to drop plots. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which I know isn't exactly the same thing, but just the attention to detail that carries over between episodes, I think, is a really good way to make a show feel connected, even when episodes could theoretically be watched in any order. Ooh, also spoilers for a story that I haven't written and who knows may never actually get around to writing. Mm-hmm. But I think that I'm going to end it having Xander die where he was initially planned to die fighting Caleb. Wow. Yeah. Will Anya become a vengeance demon again? Oh. Because I'm assuming her marriage ends up going through with Xander. No, no, I'm still not going to have her marry Xander, but... I... Are, are you not going to have her get left at the altar? Yeah, I don't know what the, I don't know what the rationale is going to be for them calling off their wedding, but it's going to be not the bullshit reason that happened. But I, I think that them not being able to get married is an important part of both of their arcs. Are you just not going to have her be a vengeance demon again? No, she, no, she'll probably... No, I, I was thinking, are you waiting until Xander's killed for her to become a vengeance demon again? Mm, I might. I might. Have her be the one who takes out Caleb? Hmm. I'll have to think on it. Because I I want, since this is about redeeming Xander, I want his death to mean something. So I I might not have her take out Caleb. I I have to think on this. Ooh. 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 Okay, I actually do know how it's going to end now. And now I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it. (laughs) For when I write this epic... Seven chapter long Xander Redemption fic later. So. Farscape. <laughs> we've, been, we've been talking for an hour and a half. <laughs> and we're like, what, a quarter of the way into the episode? Like the third. <laughs> okay, let, we'll. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me reset us. Let me reset us. What so, was Sukozu doing? <laughs> stop it. No, it wasn't Sukozu this time. No, so now it's time. Now it's time for John and Aaron to. Oh my God, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. 
Hang on. I can't even. I can't even right now. Give me a second. Oh, my God. Did you lose the thread that much? <laughs> I did. Oh, my God. You know what I'm thinking right now? What? That you're going to do a separate uh, podcast again? Maybe. We'll see. Oh, my God. No, now I'm thinking about the Simpsons variety hour. We're like this all the time. <laughs> yes. Oh, shit. Okay. Hold on. Okay, resetting. For real this time, back at Farscape. Back at Farscape Central. Now it's time for the Scarens to meet with John and Aaron. Okay, so the Scaren guy that's meeting with them is the Scaren Emperor, which I feel like is way too big of a position to be meeting with John Crichton. Like, I get it. I get he's important, but is he Emperor important? Yes! Do you do you not realize how important John Crichton is? I mean, wormholes seem cool, and like they could turn the tide of a war. But like, is he emperor? Shouldn't the emperor be like? I, I mean, I guess. Okay, well, the emperor agrees with you because the emperor's like, I don't even believe that you have wormhole knowledge, and so John's like, okay, tell you what, here is here is a location. Send a ship there. Let me know when you when they get there, and then we'll see what I do or do not know. And when the emperor pauses, and, and when the emperor hesitates for a moment, he's like, "Fuck it, I'll just give it to Greza." And the emperor's like, "Oh no, my one weakness, pitting my enemy against me. Oh no, my one weakness, psychological manipulation." I feel like it's an insult that they sent Greza to this. Or is Grazy here unauthorized, do you think? No, I mean, I think she's authorized. Although, you know, in the Girls' Night Out episode, she was on an unauthorized mission. Uh, yes, it does feel like an insult. Although Erin does at one point talk about how much trouble she's going to be in with Peacekeeper High Command if this doesn't go well. So mm. this might be like her... The, she might have been this, like... This is Peacekeeper's High Command of sending dudes into the uh, wormhole to see what happens. Yes, Exactly. This is just them sending someone to the the trade negotiations to see what happens. And they fully expect her to come back liquid. God, it does not pay to be a peacekeeper. Like, you are someone's pawn no matter what level you're at. Yep. So the Scarin woman goes to torture Scorpius some more. And he's like, do it. I like torture. I love how much of this episode is... This woman being bad at her job. Like, she does so many things that would get her fired in this episode. By who? There's no HR here. There's no HR in space! (sighs) Oh, no, I meant incompetence-wise, not sexual harassment-wise. Well, you know, I actually don't know about that, because she brings out Stark, which Scorpius actually looks scared when Stark comes out. Well, yeah, I guess she has no way of knowing that Scorpius is actually the Emperor's fancy man. But, like, the fact that she's like, I know, I'll just kill the hostage. (laughs) I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go all Cheryl from Archer. That's actually, Cheryl's actually referencing Speed, the Keanu Reeves movie. (laughs) Or I'll kill the hostages. Yeah. But, But she's like... Look, if you don't tell me how to do wormholes, I'm just going to kill you and let the guy who sucks out your soul and gets all of your juicy brain information get all your juicy brain information and tell me. And it's Stark. It's Stark. She has hired Stark to, you know, 
Stark is the gorilla she has hired to eat Scorpius. That's a Bob's Burgers reference. Yes. But no, I mean, speaking of vengeance and like flipping things around, yes, that's exactly... That's exactly the right move for her to have made, especially because Scorpius is immune to whatever the Scarens can do as far as, like, spinning him around and trying to pull out his memories. But he is scared when Stark shows up because he knows that if Stark actually does kill him and drain away his memories and drain away his life, that Stark might be able to get that knowledge and he does not want the Scarens to have that knowledge. I think it's interesting that Stark is cool with doing this considering how much he didn't want to permanently have Scorpius in his brain earlier. Yeah, he's done with that. He's like, you know what? Whatever. Also- What I think is fun here is that we just saw like alternate universe Stark on Katrazi with Sokozu Stark. Mm -hmm. And- she had all these limits on her powers, but he doesn't. She could only pass people over if she loved them. And here, Stark can do the thing I was constantly, you know, suggesting he do, and he can just guide someone into death. Like you, could... You've been waiting for him to do this since his power was introduced. Yeah, yeah. I have been waiting for this. He's like, hey, Scorpius, I'm going to guide you into death. That was him taking off his mask and yeah. starting to suck out. Scorpius's soul. Eh, sure. What little there is. <laughs> Meanwhile, Chiana's getting rejected for a change. I mean, she's not being rejected. Naranti runs off because I guess Naranti also has super hearing and she can hear all of this happening. Well, and she, she has large ears, I guess. Sure, sure. I mean, I have large boobs. It doesn't make me better at breastfeeding. <laughs> I think that's a very odd <laughs> comparison. Well, I don't, I don't have other, I don't have any other appendage that's larger than normal, but my boobs are objectively larger than normal. Yes, I suppose. I, I think uh, all of my other appendages are like proportional. Are you better at breastfeeding if you have larger breasts? Is... No, that's exactly my point is that you're not. You said she has large ears, so she can obviously hear better. Okay, but I feel like the ear size would have an effect on hearing, whereas... Breast Why? size wouldn't have an effect on because it gives you a larger radius to catch sound. You think they're like they're like satellite dishes? I don't think larger areolas or whatever means more milk. Well, presumably if you have large breasts, you also have like larger ducts. I mean, would you? I don't know. I mean, clearly I don't know how ears work, but <laughs> I feel like you'd be able to catch more sound larger ears like 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 a, like a catcher's mitt right and the bigger the bigger the mitt the more the more sound balls you can catch well aren't elephants really good at hearing isn't that a thing i have no idea are they good at smelling <laughs> they also have large noses i'm assuming they'd be worse with smelling because they use their trunks for well and there you go those are different they're they're not picking stuff up with their ears other than theoretically more sound <laughs> Why are we talking about this episode of Farscape? It's so good. Why aren't we talking about it? It's been three hours. But Naranti does leave Chiana alone. She runs off to tell everybody else about the the fact that Scorpius is being tortured. And he's definitely, definitely going to fold under torture. And do you not know? Didn't she spend time with him or something? No. Naranti never overlapped with Stark. No, uh scorpius oh yeah what about them like shouldn't she know that he's not gonna fold under torture 
Well, I said I mean, torture. Yeah, they're, they're doing something to draw the information out. I guess she heard him scream in actual panic or whatever. And I, I think it was more than screaming in panic. I think she also sensed that. Or maybe she heard the whole boob sweat lady explanation as to, you know, I'm going to have him suck out your soul and get the information that way. It wasn't boob sweat lady. It was the. Oh, right. It was. <laughs> it was the scaring lady who's terrible at everything. Yeah. Big hat lady. Big hat lady. There we go. Big hat lady. From now on, we're just going to refer to that Scarin as Big Hat Lady. Yeah. Uh, because... Of that Lower Decks episode that was with those monsters from uh, Voyager. No, because there's a line coming up later where Aaron makes fun of her big hat. And that line was improv by Claudia Black. And it's beautiful. It's not in this episode. It's later. <laughs> it's... I'm sorry. I said monsters. They were aliens. They... Yeah. Though we are strong aliens. Yeah, I knew who you meant. Yeah. I was hoping you could give me a race name for them for our... The our Packlids. List. The Packlids, yeah. Who I'm guessing were actually in... I was going to say actual Star Trek. Lower Decks is actual Star Trek. Yeah, they were a joke race, remember? Yeah. They were a joke They're race. They're not race. a joke anymore, which is a little on the nose for... You know, because the stakes were serious in the finale. Man, but, Lower Decks is so good, though. It is. I feel I'm like, so glad it's coming back. I'm glad too. I feel like the last season was a little weak. I get that it was I get that it was just building up what they ended up doing in the finale. And I like the twist that they did on the finale. Uh-huh. But the fact is you can only do so many season 1 homages in an episode or well, or in a in a season even. And it I was fine with every season being a reference to. Well, it's not it's not that it's a season 1 homage. It's that every season ends with that big moment where the cavalry shows up. Yeah. That that's not but they did it multiple times in the season to build up what happens in the finale of season three. And I'm like, okay, but now it's lost its power because we've seen multiple versions of it over the course of this season. Okay, let me ask you, because I feel like it divided the fans. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the peanut hamper episode? No, I Pro like or con. I like the peanut hamper episode. I like it a lot. And it uses that thing. It does that exact thing. The here's the cavalry. Yeah. They, and I thought it was cool, but I didn't know that they would do it multiple times over the course of the season. Like, I feel that robs it a little bit of some of its power. Uh-huh. Anyway, back on Farscape, in the, in the mess hall, John is like, hey guys, we need to grab Scorpius, like, right now. Where is my riot? And... They're like, it's coming, John. Jesus. A riot takes time. And so basically the way they're starting this riot, Rigel and Dargo have convinced the Chards that the Kalish are going to betray them and vice versa with the Kalish. Yeah, which way to use racism for... I was gonna you say, absolutely don't have to <laughs> hand it to racism. You do not have to hand it to racism. But it did work here. I was thinking, Not handing it to racism, but racism worked. I was thinking this was more like a Greek epic with like the thing where where Odysseus throws the rock between the monsters so that they fight each other. That's what this is. It's not right. It's, it's, it's fine. He explains to the Chards that once the, once the Scarens have wormhole technology, they're going to need technicians. They're going to need the Kalish, but they're not going to need muscle anymore. So they should start, you know figuring it out you know what fair yeah it's it's funny it's not really a lie meanwhile the uh 
The Kalish are starting to panic. Well, not not the guy who's floating with Sokozu because he's part of the resistance and he's in on all of this. Mm. But they're starting to panic because the Scarens are pressuring them to figure out what the deal is with John's nuclear weapon. And also the Kalish is working with Sokozu is whispering into his boss's ear like, hey, I think the Charids are going to betray us. I really love that the guy's horrified to find out that it is actually a nuke. Yeah, yeah. He had his guys scan John, and they're like, yeah, no, it's a, it's a nuclear bomb. And he's like, what the fuck is wrong with this human? Also, they sent their guys to the coordinates John gave them and did not call John like he told them to. And instead, they all got sucked into the wormhole, and now they're all dead. They're all goo now. And the guy's like, how dare you kill our men? And John's like... I told you to do two things and you did one of those things. This could not possibly be less on me. I, I like it. The I like the scaring is like, don't you threaten me. And John says, I'm not threatening you. I'm just a guy with something to sell. Oh, John is so amazing in this episode. Oh, I, I mean, totally get Aaron banging him. Everyone is really firing on all cylinders. Aaron's having so much fun. She really is. All right. So... Here's how, here's one of the ways we're going to start the riot. This Kalish guy takes Sokozu into this like gardeny place, right? Mm-hmm. It's weird because it doesn't appear to be anything other than like a nice little gardeny space. And only the Cherids have the ability to access it, which is weird because what's really going on there if only the Cherids have the ability to access it? But of course, this particular guy has stolen the codes, so he can get into it too. So he's going to go into it, and he's going to open it up so that it looks like the Cherids fucked up and left it open. Meanwhile, John and Aaron run into Braca, and they're like, oh, hey, we know this guy. This is where the scene I was talking about earlier comes in, where Braca's like, I can't help you. I'm working with Boob Sweat Lady. And they're like, no, you're not, you liar. John does the thing that I mentioned earlier where he's like, I know you're pretending you're with mommy, but we all know that you're really daddy's special boy. I really do like Braca's response to John. He's like, okay, are you here to rescue him or to kill him? And you don't really know which one Braca wants him to do. I think you're pretty sure that it's rescue. Yeah. I mean, he did make out with Scorpius last episode, episode before last. Also, Braca, like, totally understands where John is coming from. Like, Braca bottomed his way to the top. I was going to say Braca has been on John. Well, now it's going to sound bad. (laughs) I was going to say Braca has been on John's tail longer than any of these people because he used to work with Craze. (laughs) Whatever. Whatever. I refuse to be pulled into this. Seriously. It just keeps going. John goes to the room where they're holding Scorpius and then he confronts Hat Lady. He actually does tell her nice hat. And then she tries to, like, do the mind-brain melty thing on John, and the bomb starts going off. And she's like, you know what? I'm calling your bluff. I don't think that bomb's actually going to explode. And we go to commercial, and we come back. He's still being tortured. The bomb is still beeping. And he's like, fine, fucking blow us all up, and let's see. And the bomb is beeping faster and blinking more and more lights. And, uh... Woman does, uh, Hat Lady does not have the stones to pull this off. She... Nope, she, 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 she blinks first. She's like, you're crazy. And he's like, 
Well, I mean, I have all of the advantage. I have a bomb. I, I mean, I, I guess maybe strapping a nuke to yourself is not something you do if you're entirely in possession of your faculties, but... I mean, also, it's probably not something you do if you have any other options. Yes. God, I love John and Aaron in this episode, though. They have this flirty little nobody got blown up by a nuke moment. Uh, and, and by the way, they're having it in front of a very, very fucked up Scorpius. Yeah, they're basically making out over his tortured, broken, beaten body. Yeah. And then they just go. They just leave him there to wah, get tortured wah. some more. Sucks to suck, Scorpius. Yeah, maybe you'll think twice before you just start strapping people to Aurora chairs. Honestly, remember, this all started because Scorpius was like, who is this guy? Let's just strap him to an Aurora chair and see. Scorpius, you brought this on yourself. So Sakozu takes John and Aaron to the, like, pretty park place. And they go in there and start making out. But, but it's actually part of the plan. I love that they've incorporated making out into the plan. John's doing this thing because making out is part of the plan, but also they have to get caught. So to spend time while they wait to get caught, he's like teaching Aaron how to dance. Again, there's so many adorable John Aaron moments that you know something bad's going to happen in the next couple episodes. They're just way too cute. Just way, way too cute. Also, I this moment, is this not like an actual romantic version of the not romantic scene with Star-Lord and Gamora in the first episode in the first uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movie where they're out on the on the balcony. Yeah, James Gunn definitely watched Farscape before writing that movie. I only bring that up to like put a pin in it because we're going to have to do an episode when we're done with Farscape where we watch Guardians of the Galaxy again. Mhm. God, Rigel is Rocket Raccoon. That is correct. Speaking of, he is talking to the Charids. Uh Rigel, not Rocket Raccoon. Or, you know, whatever. Same same difference. And convincing them that he can pay them much better than what the Skyrens are, and they should definitely be with him instead of the Skyrens. I mean, I don't get why they're so down on Hynerians. Don't they own, like, multiple galaxy-spanning empires? Yes. Like, I feel like they're a pretty big force. The thing about the universe is that it's huge. Mm. Remember the episode Throne for a Loss when... Rigel is thinking that he's like a big deal because he has so many subjects and then he's next to a guy who he's never heard of who's from a race he's never heard of and that guy has as many galaxies that serve him as Rigel has subjects the universe is huge is what we learned from Farscape and they both ended up in dirt caves yep is there a, there's a lesson there I guess yes so John and Aaron are making out in the, like, arbor area. And then finally the chariots come in and are like, what are you doing here? And they're like, trying to fuck. And John says there's never enough time. And I know that you have been feeling the, like, ominousness of how happy John and Aaron are. And man, it's true, right? There is never enough time. This is also kind of a better version of the fake out they did last episode where John pretended that he wanted to buy Aaron for sex purposes. Well, actually, he said he was going to kidnap her for sex purposes, but yes. yes. Although it, it was cute, the double meaning, you know, that he, he used to, you know. Yeah, he said that his pl- that if he had gotten away with it, he would have taken her back to his ship and had lots of sex with her and had all of her babies. Yeah. Which is his plan. So it didn't ding his lying to the psychic dragon aliens cross my heart and wish i'm dead put a lobster on my head 
Why did the guy lie? He knew what would happen. I don't know. It was it was his lobster. We don't have time to relitigate that episode. Don't we? No. <laughs> Let's talk about Litigaria, the lawyer planet. Oh my god. Oh my god. It's the planet where everyone's a lawyer. Yeah, I remember. I remember the worst episode of Farscape. Wait, was that the worst? Was that worse than than Kubai Clam? Wait, oh. wait, what's worse, Litigaria or Kubai Clam? Oh, I thought you were gonna throw uh, Jeremiah Crichton into the mix. What's worse, Jeremiah <laughs> Crichton, Kubai Clam, or Litigaria? Honestly, I think Litigaria, just because it's such a non Farscape premise. What if there was a whole planet of lawyers? Wacky! I feel like Kubai Clam is worse by like a hair. Because of the sexism? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, yeah, here here it wasn't a lie. John is like, yeah, we were here because I was going to try to fuck Aaron, which is also the truth, even though also, you know, to cause a riot. Yes. In Aaron's pants! A thing can be two things. So, of course, the Charids drag them out of there and then start fighting about who it was that left the door open so that John and Aaron could get in. Hat Lady is like, who let you in? And they're like, no, and the door was unlocked. Your security just sucks. Maybe you should yell at them. It wasn't my fault. I was given those beans. He persuaded me to trade away my cow for beans. John also tells the John also tells the Emperor that, hey, as long as we're negotiating for my magic beans, I mean my wormhole technology, I think you should throw in Scorpius. It's his father's fault that the curse got placed in the first place. I'm just saying, lots of last midnight energy here. Yeah. I mean, we are, we are coming up on last midnight. Stark is still torturing Scorpius, and Hat Lady is like, how come you're not getting any information out of him? And Stark's like, well, to be totally honest with you, he probably doesn't know it. I didn't tell you I could get stuff he doesn't have. I just told you, if he knows, I'll get it out of him. Yeah. But no, he's probably just going to die, which is cool, because that's why I'm here, to torture him until he dies. And then the Emperor comes to be like, okay, well, we're going to we're gonna give him back to John because that's what John wants. What did you do to my special little guy? I mean... You better not have killed him. You're overstepping your authority, hat lady. I mean, to be fair to whether or not Scorpius is a spy for the Scarens, which is what he's going to reveal here. He's going to reveal to us, the audience, that he's been spying for the Emperor the whole time. But... Weird, big, late-in-the-game revelations. Well, I mean, is he? Is he? Is he spying for the Emperor? Not to throw another reference on top of the massive reference sandwich that this episode has been, but, uh... It's that episode of Community with the uh, conspiracy theories. Yes, yes, it is. It's just, it's just, it's just betrayals and double agents all the way down. But what, what, what's interesting here is that Hat Lady has totally lost the thread. I know, hypocritical of me to say that at this point, two hours into our recording. But she has totally lost the thread, and she's like, "I'm so close at getting the wormhole technology from him," and the Emperor's like, "Yeah, but." John will just give it to us if we give him Scorpius. We don't need to torture it out of Scorpius. We can just use him to buy it. Isn't that just capitalism with more steps? It's fewer steps. Scorpius... I'm, I'm sorry, isn't it just slavery with... <laughs> that That's what goes? capitalism yeah. is. Scorpius can be exchanged for goods and services. Got a Simpsons reference. I know, right? What is this? Crossover episode. No, it's too many references. What is this, Darmok? Shocker when the walls fell. 
<laughs> anyway, now now the peacekeepers are approaching John again with their offer. They're off. They're giving him essentially pardons. Everyone on Moya gets a pardon. You get a pardon, and you get a pardon. And Aaron looks at it, and she's like, "Yeah, this is valid. This is a pardon." And John's like, "Well, can we just steal these pardons and knock her down and run away?" Valid, right? Uh, also, but no, the pardons are conditional on the Scarens not getting the technology, the wormhole technology, which is like, duh, right? Is, is that not why we're here? I Graza is terrible at this. That did you? This is like if I went into if this is like if I went into a a, a grocery store and I like put all my stuff on the conveyor belt and they put it all in bags and then I pulled out some cash and I started to hand it over but before the cashier could take it from me I was like stop this is conditional you can only take this money you may only take my money if I can have this food like <laughs> Grayson what what are we doing here what are we even doing here so. But the Scarin interrupts and is like, wait, no, I brought Scorpius to you. He literally throws Scorpius <laughs> on the bargaining table next to the, like... He's mostly not dead. Like, John is literally sitting at a bargaining table with on one side a stack of pardons and on one side Scorpius. And they're like, all right, let's see which one John goes to. Like, he's a dog. I mean, fair. And now, and now this is... You know, you said this was what John was born for, but no, this is what John was born for because he needs the riot to happen and it's not happening yet. So John needs to vamp. Uh, yeah, I was going to say stall, but no, vamp is the perfect word. Oh. John has a tight 15 in case of this sort of situation. I love how much Aaron is just kind of chilling and enjoying this. She completely trusts John in this situation. She knows he's got it under control. She knows if there's one thing her man can do, it is talk until the end of the world, which is what he's going to do. I believe that I have mentioned this before on this podcast, that the person John has perfect faith in is Scorpius. Yes, you did mention that. I think it's interesting that John has perfect faith in Scorpius, but Aaron has perfect faith in John. Yes. Okay, so speaking of the relationship between John and Scorpius, John wants to be alone with Scorpius, so now it's just him and Scorpius and Aaron. He determines from Scorpius that Scorpius did not get any information, did not give any information to the Scarens, did not give them any wormhole technology. He's like, great, let's kill him. Aaron's like, you can't kill him. Or he asks Aaron to kill him. Because Aaron's the assassin. Yeah, and Aaron's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. I remember he he saved me from heat delirium or whatever, and the baby. Well, that's the thing, right? She's like, if you want to kill him, you kill him. And John's like, you made me promise I wouldn't. And Aaron says, okay, I release you from the promise. You kill him. And John starts, scr- st- John starts strangling Scorpius. Well, he, he tries. He can't do it. And he, he finally turns to Aaron and he's like, I'll give you my bike if you do it. They're like, they're being jokey and playful even now while they're talking about like whether or not to murder an enemy. And then Scorpius is like, can I say something? And they're both like, no. This isn't about you, Scorpius. Jesus. Read the room. They have a little gunplay, but no one gets shot. Like like Francine and Stan and American Dad before they have sex. Yeah. You pull out. 
your gun and then I pull out my gun and we point our guns at each other and then your your arm gets tired and then you drop the gun and then we have nobody got shot sex. Yep. Speaking of nobody got shot sex, or I guess the opposite of that, I mean, they're about to have everybody got shot sex. In the mess hall, the riot is finally, finally happening. Except not yet. It's damn time. I mean, it's still, it feels like it's not going to happen because one of the Scarens is basically yelling at them. And when the Scarin leaves, it almost feels like, okay, like, like dad came and broke up the fight. But then, then it's, it's happening. It's happening. It's on like Donkey Kong. People are shooting. Those guys who can walk on the ceiling are walking on the ceiling. So- I, I, I forgot that, or I guess I didn't think about the fact that everyone in Sokozu's race can do that thing where they like shift their center of gravity and fly up to the ceiling. She makes out with the guy, and she's like, in another life, I could have loved you. And he's like, yeah, same, bye. Yeah. And then they just walk off in different directions. It's great. She and Dargo team up, and they do a thing where he, like, approaches uh, a Charid while holding her, and he's like, hey, I caught one. And then they kill that Charid. And then they walk up to another Charid, and they're like, hey, I caught one. And then they kill that Charid. And then they do it a third time, because if it works once... Why not keep doing it? Which is great. It's such a subversion of how things usually work like this. Usually, you you only get to use a trick once, but, you know, why not? This is just Sailor Moon starting off a fight with the move that instantly kills the enemy. Right? Why not start with your finisher? You finish every fight. So, yeah. Then why they- does Buffy punch vampires a whole bunch before staking them? Gwendolyn Post might have been evil, but she had a point. Plunge and move on. Yes. Plunge and move on. Or was that Wesley? No, no, that was Gwendolyn Post. Yeah, yeah. Who honestly could have been a multi-episode villain. She really could have. Speaking of multi-episode villains, Aaron and John grab Scorpius, who can barely walk under his own power. They are making their escape, and they face a, a, a Charid who is going to shoot them, but then, ah, he gets shot in the back by Bracca. Who gives them a look, because it's like, at the end of the day, Brock is going to save Scorpius. Meanwhile, Chiana and Naranti are just drugging people. Ah, uh, yes, Naranti has sleep drugs, and so she's going up and blowing it in people's faces. I love that that's her plan A always, and it usually works. Yeah, she she starts with her finisher. Yeah. For a second, Scorpius doesn't want to get on Lola because he knows that it's covered in... <laughs> Darko's spooch. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Fair. Once again, I am on Scorpius' side. They tell him that Moya is kind of off to the side, disguised as a freighter, because remember they got that thing that disguises them as a freighter. Mm-hmm. And she's all ready to starburst. As soon as they get to her, she's going to starburst. And Scorpius collapses and is like, oh, I can't go another step. I'm so dead. And... Aaron takes the gun and puts it in his face and is like, okay, get up and walk or I will shoot you. And John's like, yeah, she means it. She's serious. So Scorpius gets up to walk. Yeah, he's like, yeah, you got me. I'm impossible to kill. And they're like, yeah, we know. We've been trying to murder you for years. Literally years. So now they are in the loading bay with Scorpius. The Cherids are like going to shoot at John and they're like, dumbass we have a we, i have a bomb don't shoot at me i have a bomb and they're like ah but you also have that guy who's always gonna betray you and he does scorpius punches aaron and punches john he pushes john to the ground and 
straddles him. Yes, and I love this, okay? He tells John, and this is what you said about how Scorpius is the person John always trusts. He tells him, I need you to calm down because the bomb is, like, accelerating. And he says, I need you to trust me enough that you calm down and live. And then we go to credits. Well, John makes a weird face and uh, right. screams and it freezes. And So I'm assuming next episode we'll start with the bomb going off and everyone being killed. And then it's going to be two episodes of nothing. That was a joke. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I mean... It's the rule with the trilogies, right? We have to go out on John making a weird face. It's true. At least this time he's not like actively melting only for us to come back next episode and he's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the end of We're So Screwed Part 2 Hot to Katrazzi. Okay. Despite the fact that we, uh, I think, barely talked about the episode at all. I really like this episode. This is a top tier episode of Farscape. Probably top three. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh, so, oh, did you say top three? Yeah. Okay, I definitely, I wouldn't put a top, I don't know. I'd have, I'd have to do some thinking before I said top three, but like S tier, absolutely. Top five? Yeah, probably, probably top five. I'm going to say if it has a shot of getting into top three, it, it has to be top five. Yeah. Next episode we're talking about is We're So Screwed, La Bamba. <sighs> After thwarting Crichton's escape plan, Scorpius denies he is a Scarron spy. Okay. Should we talk about our segments? Yes, we ha- we have multiple segments to discuss. Like John, we are in a distant part of the universe. What world building worked for you this episode? Already talked about it, but the whole thing with Sakosu's people, the whole thing where they're a subservient race that is also very aware of the fact that the race they're subservient to would completely collapse with them. So they have power over them. It's such an interesting dynamic. I like that we learned here that the Aurora chair is obviously modeled off of Scarin technology. That is that is cool. Like John, we are encountering strange alien creatures. Any alien design that worked for you this episode? I don't think we actually met any new aliens this episode. No. No, I mean, I like Hat Lady's design, but we've seen her before, so it's not... Everything's kind of coalescing right now. I don't think we've got time for new alien species, Mm -hmm. although apparently we have time to learn that Sakozu has a whole thing going on. It's a real... and it's not exactly, but in the last episode where I think Serena Sutherland was her name, uh, Elizabeth Rome's character in Law & Order... Oh, the, like, is this because I'm a lesbian? Yeah, like... Oh, I guess this was a subplot that we've just never mentioned with this character up until the literal last scene she's in. Yeah, yeah. Like John, we have been asked to look upward at the wonders we have seen. What emotionally resonated with you this episode? <sighs> okay, it, it it's it's cheap, but all of the John and Aaron stuff, just them being a schmoopy, happy couple. Every moment John and Aaron talk to each other. Oh my god. Oh, I mean, that's my number one, but just because you put that as your number one, I'm going to say uh, Sakozu with the other Kalish freedom fighter. Yeah, that was fun. Summer fling. Don't mean a thing. I think that's going to do it for this week. I think that'll about do it. Our show is partially listener supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Rosa, Ryan, Maracruz, Benjamin, Kate, Jen, and Dan. 
If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode or any episode or any episode of any television show, you can tweet at us at I Love TV Zines on Twitter, or you can email us at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Wow.